And so one December afternoon, we went out to buy supplies. And on the way back, we're driving in his truck and we hit a bridge. And for a moment, we kind of skidded, kind of like hydroplaned. And very shortly after, we were back down on the ground, safe and sound. But we looked at each other and we said, bridge freezes before roadway. Right? You've seen that sign all your life. You at least kind of knew that in a sense. But in that moment, we really knew it in a way we would never forget. Right? In a way that would kind of instruct us in the future and even change the way that we drive. Well, I hope to do that with these five verses. And the first of them is Psalm 77, 14. Say with me if you would. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You just can't underestimate the greatness of God. And on this trip, I saw it in wonderful and welcome ways. And just a personal small way that I can share it first. I was probably more prepared for this missions trip than any I've ever taken. And people said, you know, what can we pray for? And I said, well, this is a trip that has as its centerpiece a module for pastors in Nepal like a cram course of a seminary instruction on the book of Genesis. And in addition, I'll be at an orphanage and a Bible college and preaching in churches. And they said, well, no, no, we mean, what can we pray for you, like personally? And I thought, boy, that's a very kind thing. And a number of people asked me, more than usual, and I said, well, you know, I'm a big motion sickness guy. You know, I, I can get sick in a car from here to 88, and uh, you could pray for that. And apparently people did, because I went over there taking the longest flights I've ever taken in my life. My wife packed a bag of everything that's ever worked for me in motion sickness and a few things that hadn't. And I took both flights, a 19-hour flight and a 5-hour flight, and I arrived in Kathmandu. And realized I feel over there the way I feel over here. And then I got into a vehicle driving, where this really tends to catch up with me. And all the way to the host home, I felt fine. I thought, now why is that? Could it be because, you know what, I'm on this side, they drive on the wrong side of the road. So I'm sitting in the front where I normally sit, could it be that? But no, it couldn't be that because we're still driving on the wrong side of the road when we swerved the way I'm not anticipating. Or they tend to drive right down the middle of the road until somebody's coming from the other way, you know, the way I do. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of something I'm used to. But again, jetting off at the last minute, and I realized, why am I looking for explanations when the obvious truth is so clear? God has chosen to do something very special. And just give me a pass on this. I haven't had it before. I haven't really had it a lot since. But the time over there, no kind of motion sickness. And it was a wonderful thing. And that was very important because as I arrived, the first thing we did was go into a meeting because another pastor, and I'm a pastor, had just come over to teach the native men. And I was coming to teach the native men. And he had been arrested and taken by the authorities and ultimately would be deported. And so we needed every physical and mental piece of energy that we had uh, to figure out exactly how to do this. More on that in a bit. Here's the host. 
We slip right over to the other thing. Can we do the next one on that? One? <laughs> we got a crisscross of two here. Okay, back to the beginning. Let's see if I can get through this. Okay. I got some show and tell in the back here, too. <laughs> We're looking good there. There's our host, Pastor Biru. This is very interesting. I'd never heard a name like Biru before. And he was the host pastor. And then I realized, that's my name's Brian. That's just the same name with different uh, letters in a different order there. And he is uh, kind of like what I do with the Northeast Fellowship. He's uh, interested in the whole work of Nepal and ministering to the other pastors. And he did a whole event just for pastors and wives while I was there and uh, was also my host. There we go. This is uh, myself with his daughter. Out of all the people who helped me and tried to uh, helped me learn the language. This was my best tutor by far. You have never had a 10th grade grammar Nazi teacher like this in all your life. She would make sure I said the word right, pronounced it exactly right, and even when I got it right, she'd make me do it again. And so we had a lot of fun together with her, and she taught me Genesis 1-1. Remember, I'm teaching the whole book of Genesis, so that I was able to go into the class the first day and say, Amir, Parmishurli, Arima. Shursti, Gorano, Ho, just so you know, I've memorized your whole book in your language of Genesis, but I won't bore you with the rest of it. <laughs> so that was thanks to a nine-year-old. She was very helpful. Now, one of the great things about any missions trip or any work you do for the Lord is no matter how different the place is, our message is still the same. And believe me, one Savior fits all. It is the same message no matter how different the food is, and the food was very different over there, here we are eating uh, the meal that they eat for every lunch and dinner of every day. For 22 uh, lunches and dinners, I had this meal 20 times. I even had it for one breakfast. They just threw it in, uh, I guess thinking I would enjoy it yet another time on my final day. But very different food, very different culture. And uh, we exchanged a little bit of our culture with them. And believe me, they love the chocolate over there. Here's the dress. You'll notice uh, that over there, half of them, I don't mean 50%, but half, a little less than 50%, dress in their native garb, which is very colorful, like the young ladies you see on the right and the left. Almost a royal type of a look to it, very formal beyond anything we would do on a regular basis. But then the other half, more than 50%, they want to look exactly like you and me. They like the American, they even want to wear shirts with English wording on them, and they don't know what it means. They just want to wear it. So the picture in the middle is kind of the perfect uh, pitch of both. Yes, the girl on the left there is wearing a Batman shirt, like uh, an American kid would, and the girl on the right is wearing all the vivid colors of their culture, and the ones in between uh, a little mix of the two. The capital city of the great land of Nepal is Kathmandu, and this is looking back at it from the back side. It's very colorful. 
the natural landscape as well as how they build their buildings. And this is the unique setting of Kathmandu. It is a bowl and it is surrounded by mountains. Nepal is home to eight out of the 10 tallest mountains in the world, including number one, uh, which is Everest. And so it forms a unique thing where there's a great dust bowl. And another way God provided and blessed me is that usually because the air is trapped and polluted here, people walk around with masks on almost every day, uh, like you would have seen in Asia during the bird flu, but this is all the time. Well, the rainy season was scheduled to get there two weeks after I got there. It got there when I got there, and rain just clears all of that out. I wore a mask one day out of two weeks I was there. The Lord made it very easy for me. But in the uh, bottom left corner, there are some flags uh, that you can see. And I want to highlight those for a minute. Hey, uh, Bob Bennett, are you in the room? Okay. Bob uh, is our Awana missionary. And if you've ever participated in Awana, you know the colors, right? Red, yellow, blue, green. Well, those are the colors on those flag plus white. And over there, it doesn't mean, hey, kids, let's learn the Bible. It's the Hindu flags, and they are placed in a location where they believe a strong breeze can blow and that they think their blessings of their Hindu gods come to them through this. And this was visible all over the city, right down to the little street corners and just about everywhere you went. A reminder that an oppressive Hindu belief, really superstition, hangs over this entire country. Well, the next verse I want to share with you of the five is probably the most important, and it's 1 Corinthians 16.9. This is a verse that shares Christian ministry in its fullest sense. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, For a great and effective door has been opened to us, and there are many who oppose us. When we serve the Lord, that's what we always find. On the one hand, opportunity. But on the other hand, opposition. You know, surely God is working in his world and making his advance. And yet also, Satan and all those who follow him are giving it their full resistance. And so when you serve the Lord, recognize this truth. Be ready for this fact that you will have both opportunity and opposition. And this was especially true in this trip. Uh, I have some charts here that will show you the growth of Christianity in this country. In 1953, when Sir Edmund Hillary scaled Mount Everest and returned as the first person to do that, it is believed that the Christian influence in Nepal was zero. That there was no Christian ministry. There may have been a believer here or there, but we had no churches or missionaries that we know of at that time. Well, fast forward five decades, and through great effort, we had put a bit of a dent in that, and it's believed that it had gone up to 0.2%. So not a great thing, but we're on the map. Well, as 2018 turned to 2019, that poll was done again, and the Christian 
community is now a full 5%. And they hear us coming. Because while this is a primarily Hindu country, it is also somewhat of a Buddhist country because Buddha, the person, was born there. This is his home country. Of course, he had his greatest influence and success further east, but they still recognize that he was born there. And it's believed that the Buddhist population is around 5%. So Christians from out of nowhere have gone to equal the religion of their most famous religious person uh, born in this country. And so that's the opportunity, making this the fastest growing country for Christianity in the world and probably by a fair margin. And so the opportunity is to go in and to teach their pastors. They have all the zeal you could hope for. They have all the opportunity, all the outreach that you could want. But what they lack is knowledge or a history or a great experience with Christianity. And that's where we can come in. And in a match made in heaven of east meets west, of knowledge meets zeal, we're able to go over there and really help kind of shape the future of that country with uh, strong doctrine and then specific teaching. The pastors who come to these trainings essentially take what they learn and turn them into their Bible messages over the next six or 12 months. And so great opportunity, but simultaneously great opposition as well. They have temples for which they're famous. And uh, here is the biggest site for Buddhism in the entire country. As you can see the upper left corner, it's called the Stupa. This is a 10-minute walk from where I stayed during that time. And I went there on three distinct occasions, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. And at all times, this place is filled with people stuck in superstition and buying souvenirs and going and praying here in a very superstitious kind of a way. And while they're known for temples in the grandest sense, really what plays more into their daily lives are ones like you see on the screen right now. These are on almost every street corner. And usually there is an aroma coming from them as they've just offered a sacrifice. And there is a bell with each of them. And as the Christians took me by this, they said, I bet you wonder what that bell is for, don't you? And they said, it's exactly what you think it is. They ring the bell to try to wake their God. And so the first time I saw one used, I, I thought it was like a doorbell, <laughs> like you ring it. And you run. But it was they will ring it for maybe 30, 60, 90 seconds consecutively until in their mind, they think they have the attention of their God. And as a Christian, you just can't help but think of Elijah and Baal and First Kings 18 and Mount Carmel. And when Elijah even mocking the other guy, you know, why don't you yell a little louder? Why don't you jump a little higher? Maybe your God is out of town. Maybe he's asleep. And uh, who would want a God that you have to wake up? Of course, I also thought, are you sure you'd want the attention of a God? You just woke up, right? <laughs> I was trying to sleep, obviously. I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to curse you, right? But this is the kind of superstition uh, in which they find themselves caught up. And to the extreme point where they want to force out Christian belief. 
they're okay with allowing Christians to do things in their own church buildings that they own. Anything beyond that, and specifically anything that tries to win new people, they really try to bat down it. And thus they arrested the guy in front of me uh, who came to do this very thing. Well, our next verse, a familiar one here, Romans 8, 28. Say this one with me if you would. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we know, we know this. We know this from experience because we've heard the truth and seen it in our lives. We know this from scripture because it's written right there in Romans 8, 28. We know it because others have testified of its truth to us. And we are rock solid in our belief that God uses all things, works them together so that though not individual things are always good, that together he makes them work for good for believers. On one hand, you know, divinely we're described as, or humanly, we're those who love God. On the other hand, divinely we're described as those who've been called by God according to his purpose. And we can take this one to the bank, that God will work these things together. And so as we approach this conference, the first thing when I got into the country was we need to talk about how we're going to do this in light of the recent arrest. And so we took a big whiteboard, one that would start at about my chest and go all the way to the floor, and a magic marker, and started to write down the options. Number one, cancel the conference. To which I replied, no way. You know, we've been praying for this. We've been getting ready. We have these pastors in our hearts who can't do that. Number two, do the conference exactly the way we had planned. That would be bold. And then three through ten or whenever we ran out of room at the bottom of the board were variations on a theme. Do the conference, but let's rethink it. And Romans 8.28 really came into play here, realizing that everything was up for grabs. The conference could be raided or stopped at any moment. What do we do? And it forced a creativity in them, in myself. And with those things happening, we were able to make this conference and hopefully future conferences uh, better than ever. We came up with the idea, well, let's record all of these so that people who can't be there, they can hear them. Let's uh, do a practice. The host that I had was going to be my translator. And probably my biggest concern about this was translation and what could be lost in translation. Certainly didn't want to be up there saying my stuff for the first time and him hearing it. And so up until the conference, we spent every night staying up late at night just telling him what I was going to say. So that by the time he said it, he knew it. He had kind of thought it through and he was excited about it. Came across as all these things actually helped improve the conference. It wouldn't have been as good as it was likely if we didn't have the pressure. A great reminder that God works all things together for good. Even things that seem to take down his own cause or strike at the very heart of it. Here is one of their churches. This is probably the biggest church in Kathmandu, and it's called Prayer Church. And over there, the preaching experience is almost the opposite of it here. I don't wear anything on my head here, but over there, they like to give you one of these. 
And they had way too much fun with the fact that my name is King <laughs> and crowned in front of King and all this. But uh, so don't usually wear anything up top, but I did over there. And then no shoes. It's very much the Asian culture. And I had seen this at the homes, but I was really surprised when I went to a church and saw 300 shoes sitting outside the door. And so I had to ask, don't you worry that someone will come and steal the shoes? And as I said this, and the translator repeated it, saw big grins on everybody's face. What's so funny? I asked about stealing shoes. They said, oh, we're all ready for that. That's no problem. We already had a kid come through and do that. We witnessed to him. He got saved, became a member of our church. He's our treasurer. (laughs) And so God works even in those ways uh, so often. And this is their greeting. And it comes with a bow like this. Jamasi. This is pretty special. In the early church, you may be familiar with this, uh, worship services often began with a, a leader saying, He is risen. Ah, yeah. oh, you already know it. And you would reply, He is risen indeed. This is a Nepali equivalent of that. Jamasi means victory through the Messiah. One Christian hardly ever greets another without that. They about Jamasi, Jamasi. Still, when I write to these, Man, it's always begin with Jamasi. If they see each other three times in a day, all three times, they will say Jamasi. A great reminder of the victory we have. And so necessary, because sometimes we don't feel like we're on the victory side. Here's a picture of the actual uh, training session with a number of the men. We didn't get them all in this one shot, but uh, a good picture of them. And I think, a little baseball time here, being from America, this is when I said, are there any Yankee fans in the room? Could you please raise your hand? I don't know how many are raising their hands. Then I said, can I see how many Mets fans? Okay, there we go. Lots of hands raised for that. Uh Uh-oh, I'll get some bad vibes here. (laughs) Okay, Acts 14, 22 for uh, the next verse I want to share. The Apostle Paul and Silas, uh, in their early missionary trips, went out and established churches. Then they came back. And when they did, their goal was to strengthen the churches. And They would go around church to church, and the message would differ a little bit, but it always included this, Acts 14, 22. Let's read this. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. That suffering is not a mistake. Suffering to God is not a surprise. And so to us, we should not treat it as some strange thing that is happening to us. It's part and parcel of following the master who said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. And we do that. And one of the most popular questions the pastors wanted to ask me is, what do you think of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? And the happiest part of that question is they weren't asking me because they didn't know the answer. They just wanted to make sure I agree that that is not true to the word of God and that this is the word of God, that we do have to suffer much for the kingdom. But again, God works it together And God even uses it to make great advances. 
These men who came, these pastors who served, have suffered a lot and in many ways. And their devotion to the cause can serve as a great wake-up call to us. They brought this man to me and he said, you got to meet this man. He got on a bus to take an eight-hour trip so that he could then walk eight... I'm sorry, I'm doing this backwards. He walked eight hours to get on a bus for ten hours of a trip to come to this training. That kind of dedication just to hear the word of God and be among other pastors. And then this picture has a man in the middle in a blue Adidas jacket. They like our stuff there. On either side of him is a father and son. That's a a neat thought there. But the man in the middle is named Raju. And the day I preached at prayer church, after I spoke, he came up and gave a soft-spoken, somewhat tear-filled testimony. Prayer church had sent him out to start another church. And when he did, and one evening when he was out in a back street, the local Hindus, knowing who he was and why he was there, physically beat him up and left him laying there in the street. And so he came back with that report. And knowing that it meant we've got to keep going on this, we don't give up, but needing prayer. And there he is in the front row. And so before each of these sessions, two young men from the Nepali churches would get up and lead songs. Very spirited singing of scriptural truths, but always in the Nepali language. And one night, the young man got up and he switched over to English for a moment and pointed at me and he said, and here's one Pastor King can sing along with us on How Great Thou Art. And I did sing it. I'm the only one singing it in English, but they're singing it in Nepali. And I happened to be in the same row as Pastor Raja, just over on the other end. And as we broke into the final chorus, and his hands went up in the air, and his eyes looked up, and you just knew that there was no thought in his head other than how great thou art. And, you know, what an inspiration, uh, what a motivation to us to realize these men paying the price and yet still saying it's worth everything they have to do for it. One more scripture passage, Romans 14, 17. The reason I have this up here is when I introduced myself on the first day, I simply mentioned this verse and uh, how it's important to me. Let's say this one. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I introduced myself as one who knows and loves righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And after the session, they came up and they said, how did you know? That's our verse. It's one of our biggest themes in Nepal. It's what we love to talk about. It's not a material thing. It's a spiritual thing that the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit uh, that we enjoy in Christ. And so uh, a great thing, again, that we have in common. The pastors, each evening at the end of the session, would pray with each other. Very true and heartfelt. As you see, they're hugging, even holding each other. This would go on for 15 or 20 minutes as they carried each other's burdens and uh, took each other to the Lord in prayer. Another church where I got to preach uh, on the outskirts of Kathmandu, there's a blue arrow reaching to one of their oldest pastors, Pastor Abraham. This was a smaller church and a great honor Uh, to be in his auditorium. This is all of us at the front of the uh, auditorium after the service. Interestingly, during the service, 
all the ladies on one side, all the men on the other, and all on the ground, no chairs. And a service lasts two hours. The first hour is a very well-prepared time of scripture reading and prayer and singing. And then the second hour, uh, at least, is the message. And so they come and truly celebrate uh, their Lord Jesus on the Lord's Day. Here was an opportunity to speak with the pastors and wives. This is within uh, viewing distance of the stupa, the biggest Buddhist temple in that nation. And we came in with all the uh, believing Christian pastors of the city and a bit around it and had a, a memorable afternoon. We also had a chance to go to an orphanage, and many of you are well aware of the worldwide problem of child trafficking, even in the, the sex slave industry. Uh, here are half a dozen kids that have been rescued from that. They would have been in that, and because of this place, they're not. Each one of them has come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Our only hope here is to expand that and rescue more kids from the streets. But, uh, you know, you hear the bad news around the world. Here's some of the good news. Our brothers and sisters over there are fighting the good fight and rescuing kids. This is another pastor and wife, and this picture is taken right at the site of our conference. On the right there is Pastor Dealey, who spoke English. On the left is his wife, who did not but wanted to talk to me in the worst way. And so she came up and with one hand tugged at my shirt and with another hand grabbed a translator and said, you tell him this story. Over Pastor Dealey's uh, left shoulder is perhaps you can see a flat roofed building. That's their church, also called Prayer Church, like the one in Kathmandu. And so we walked down to that church and she said, I came in here with cancer and I got down on my knees on this cold cement floor and I prayed the better part of the night. And today I don't have cancer. And people heard about that in this small city. And unlike America where they might say, hey, why don't we give it a shot? It seems like a lucky thing to do. They sense it's a true moving of the Lord. And many have come just because of that or to pray. And she told me about a policeman and his wife who had come there looking for something and instead meeting people and hearing the gospel. And their problem was infertility in a culture that completely uh, prizes having children. And they prayed with that couple. And she said earlier today, their firstborn child came into the world. And then they took me to their Bible college a smaller building where we spent a day and got to interact with the students. And at the end of the day, the administrator said, now I want to tell you the story behind how we got this property. At great cost and after long savings, we were able to purchase it. And the day we came here after the closing, a group of Hindus showed up and said, we heard you bought this property and that you want to build a Bible college here. And yeah, that's exactly what we want. And they said, well, you're not building a Bible college here. We don't want you here. We don't approve it. We run the local government. There's no way in the world you're going to have a Bible college here. 
And so they did what I hope you would do, what I would do, all of us as Christians would do, and they prayed deeply and desperately. But when I say they prayed, I mean prayer plus nothing. Prayer, you know, should be accompanied by works. We all understand that. But this is a kind of prayer that we're not going to try to manipulate the situation ourselves. We're not going to do it so that it was clearly or potentially us that was doing it. They just prayed. They didn't pray and write letters to people about their prayers. They didn't pray and call an attorney to try to get legal help. They just prayed. And about three weeks later, same group of Hindu men came back to their property and without any explanation, simply said, we're okay with you building your Bible college here now. We're not going to stand in the way. And they never saw them again. And the building went up, and they've had a, they do a one-year program. They don't call it a class. They call it a batch. So they've had a batch every year for about 17 years now, uh, primarily through the power of prayer. So all these things were happening, and ultimately we're having the pastor's conference and what Satan was trying to stomp out. The Lord was going to just liberate and let loose in every way. And in the end, we had a record attendance for one of these events. We had a strong spirit among the pastors, great cooperation among themselves and with each other. But there was just a problem that stuck in the back of my mind. And that was, here I've come around the world, and in a way, physically, where I stick out, I just want to witness. You know, beyond the pastors, I want to reach this country. We want them to reach it. And we understand being safe and not being arrested, but we also understand God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So all these thoughts are going back and forth in my mind. And I thought about the two young men leading music, and I'd had lunch with them before the conference began, and they were playing on CD in the background English-language Christian worship songs. I think one of the ones we did in the morning service was in there. And so they knew about six or eight of the same songs that I knew. And one of them was this song called simply Our God. You may have heard it. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. And I thought, in this Hindu country, that's the song. You know, we've got those flags flying just outside the building where we're meeting. The Hindus saying, you know, we're here, and everybody else is secondary. And we're hearing these bells ringing all the time, people waking up their God so they can pray to them. And Kind of like Paul in Acts 17, I just felt agitated in spirit, all these false gods and the extent of their influence over the people. And so I said to the two young men, what if we just go into the dining hall of this building we're renting tonight and just sing for all we're worth, our God is greater. And they looked at me like, what time and what do we wear? They were ready. And so all the pastors who could speak and sing in English, got up. And right in the middle of this very public space with the flags flying outside and the bells ringing in the background and men walking back and forth, they got up and got out the message, our God is greater. 
And Pastor Biru, our host for the whole thing, told me the next morning as we left, you know, I couldn't sleep last night. I got thinking about that and how we were kind of quiet here. I want you to know this morning I woke up early and I went right to the owner of this place that we're renting and his wife. I told him who we are, why we're here, and I shared the whole gospel with them. And so this whole thing that started with, should we do it? Should we even be here? Ends with their pastors shouting, our God is greater at the top of their lungs and their leader going and witnessing to the owners. So all these great thoughts are going through my head and I'm ready to get on the plane in Kathmandu and I'm thanking the Lord. And it comes to mind, you know, there were two wishes, two goals that I had that didn't happen. I, one was just a personal thing. I wanted to see Mount Everest. And we were at certain vantage points where you sometimes could, but it was too cloudy and polluted. And I just didn't get to see Everest. And the other was I wanted to witness one-on-one -on -one to a Hindu. But that just didn't happen. I'm about to get on the plane. And so everything else went wonderful. I'm just thanking the Lord. I'm even thanking him that those things didn't happen. That in his providence, uh, it didn't happen. And so we get on the plane, and I look out the left side of the window, <laughs> and looky here, the most beautiful view of Mount Everest. And I could see that for about 20 minutes while we flew. And little did I know until I got home. And that was the day of the tragedy this year. I don't know if you heard about the many people passing away. So while I was looking at natural beauty, uh, you know, the man was dying on there, unfortunately. But I did get to see it. But far better than that, when I sat down on this international flight, it was three sections of three seats each with aisles in between. And as I got into my seat, I was in the middle. And to my left, a man who had been freshly uh, anointed by his family for this trip, clearly a Hindu, and he spoke English. To my right, another Hindu man who didn't speak English. Meaning that as I witnessed everything I said to the one, the other wanted to hear. And so he would translate it. So not only would he hear it, but even the people in the seats behind us and got to share the gospel with them. And so in the end, this trip that started with all kinds of questions and worries and fears, in the end, everything's coming up roses. This is a picture I took right outside where we had the conference. And every day I noticed these were growing and blooming and getting a little brighter and more beautiful. And uh, much like Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is like the rising sun growing fuller and fuller unto the perfect day. Thank you, Father, for your word and your work and how it can work anywhere. We pray for this great nation of Nepal, asking that you would protect the good thing that's going on here in spiritual growth and, and Christian increase, but also that you would prosper it and, yes, even make it run further and faster if that's according to your will. Bless these people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and make many more of them who are trapped in uh, Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism. Bring them to Christ as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. And I'm going to just 
immediately turn it over to the Cowell family. Okay. From one to the other. Thank you. Good afternoon. How many of you are glad to be here today? Good. Are you still glad to be here even though it's uh, almost 2.30? All right, good. Uh, I get the privilege of wrapping up the whole conference. I think this has been great today, what uh, Pastor Wilson and the staff have done here in uh, inviting so many missionaries. It reminds me of growing up with, uh, I forget your name, Stone, John, with his parents at Missions Conference at Windsor Bible Baptist Church. We'd invite a whole bunch of missionaries in, and that's probably where I first got my first taste of missionaries like Dwayne King and uh, his parents and uh, other people that were down in Brazil. And the Lord started laying on my heart uh, uh, his work for uh, saving souls. Uh, my wife, Gwendy, and our two children, Joe and Jenna, two of our five children, uh, you may be saying, well, where are the rest of their kids? You know, we were here five years ago and things were a little bit uncertain. Our house had flooded. There was people that said we should move from our community and go somewhere else. And we said, no, we feel the Lord has led us to be in Ross River. We need to stay there. Uh, good, you got the pictures up there. Can you go to the next? Actually, I got a button here, don't I? Um, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Uh, this is our family. This is all of us. Uh, we have been a family of ministers for, uh, we've been in the Yukon now for almost 20 years. Uh, hard to believe that. Our oldest, Jocelyn, you see there in the front, and Jesse were three and 18 months when we first went to the Yukon. Uh, we brought them both, or all of them back last uh, time, not knowing that that was the last time we do home service together. Uh, it's hard to believe that three of them are now gone. Our third one, Jamie, you see in the back row, uh, we dropped off at College of Prairie Bible College uh, on the way down here. And so we have two. And they say we don't want to get up and sing. I uh, enjoyed the stones this morning. For years we have gotten up as a family, and or I should say the kids have gotten up and sung. Uh, and I've supported them in the front row. And uh, this time Janet said to us, Daddy, do we have to sing? It's only two of us. And uh, so, no, we're not having them sing. But uh, it has been a great term. Uh, of challenges and uh, encouragement and what the Lord is doing. Uh, we have been there since 2001. February uh, 7th of 2001, we moved into the village of Ross River in the Yukon Territory uh, near the star there. Unlike Nepal, which we just heard about, which is surrounded by the two greatest countries in the world, or two most populated countries, uh, we live in a territory, the Yukon Territory, which has boasts a population as great as 30,000 or 29,000. The whole population of Canada, would you believe, is as big as the state of California. So we are not dealing with the multiple thousands of people. But yet, as Jesus says in John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There are people in the Yukon. Uh, you heard from the bakers this morning. Uh, we are also in the Yukon. We're about five hours from where they are. Uh, welcome to Ross River. Uh, Ross River is a town of about 350 people, but have a great spiritual need. Uh, a lot of social, economic, and uh, 
a lot of emotional problems that go on due to years of abuse, a lot of it done in the name of Christ through residential schools. Uh, we've been there preaching the gospel. Uh, no, I don't look like this most times. In fact, I have, actually have a tie on that occasion. I hardly ever wear a tie in church in uh, Ross River. Uh, I happen, this actually was speaking at a graduation ceremony. Uh, but we have been there sharing the gospel through Kids Bible Camp, uh, which we do each summer, Kids Bible Club. Uh, we run our Sunday morning service out of the Hope Center. Uh, preach at funerals. You know, death is not something we all look forward to. Although I know uh, for a Christian, death is something we can look forward to because life is better on the other side. Um, I look forward to funerals, not because I'm morbid, uh, not because I enjoy when seeing people grieve, but funerals give me an excellent opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, this last uh, just uh, less than a month before we left for our server, I actually had to do a funeral for someone. And I just felt led of the Lord. I said, you know, the Lord told me, you, you know, you don't know when you, you can come back again. You don't know when uh, your time here is over. You don't know which of these people need to hear the gospel. And I want you just to lay it all out. And the funeral, uh, I don't even remember who it was that I did. I just went through the whole plan of salvation, starting from Genesis. Actually, I went through the whole Bible in a message. Uh, I won't be that long today. Don't worry. Um, but went through the whole Bible in a nutshell, uh, ending with uh, invitation and telling people how they could accept Christ as their Savior. Um, didn't see anybody come to know the Lord during that time, but we pray that the seeds are planted. Uh, one of the things that our family has been very involved in, Derek mentioned it this morning. And, and oh, By the way, I give you greetings from Derek. I was on a phone meeting with him this week, and he said, my video is only nine minutes, uh, so you can take the other six minutes of my presentation. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll try to keep it short. Uh, but as Derek spoke, one of the ways that we, especially in the Yukon, get to minister to people is through uh, EMS. Um, when people are at their worst, they are often open to uh, hearing what we have to share. Right now, I have a fellow, uh, he's got stage four lung cancer. Um, we've medevaced him many times. Uh, there's been times that I have been in the back of the ambulance uh, praying with him and thinking that that would be the last time that I would see him back in town. Um, but like the Energizer Bunny, he keeps coming back. Um, we thought that he, he actually, his doctor just told me, you surprised me. We thought last Christmas, a year ago, that he would not be, that would be his last Christmas. He had a big family get together with, with his family, and we thought that would be the end. And he is still alive and well. And I just talked to him this week on the phone, and he says, I promise you, I will be here when you get back. We're going to have a wiener roast. Um, you know, I uh, don't know, I, I I know as far as the way I've talked to him, um, I think he's trusting in himself and not trusting the Lord. He says, you know, I know who the Lord is. Uh, I believe in him in my own way. Uh, but pray for Gary. Gary, uh, he's toward the end of his life. There's a couple that's ministering in our place while we're gone. Um, Gary needs to know the Lord before he, he uh, goes on into eternity. Uh, much of our ministry the last few years, uh, in 2011, we built the Hope Center, 3,600-square-foot uh, ministry center. We have church in here, coffee house, after school program, Bible studies, uh, women's craft nights, uh, men's nights. We've tried all sorts of ministries that happen out of this place. Um, we serve food on Sundays. Uh, our 
church on Sunday, we start at 11 o'clock, like every church should, right? Um, start at 11 o'clock, but unlike a lot of churches that we are accustomed to growing up, um, we end our service, we, we have a prayer, and then we invite people to stay for fellowship, and we are finding that is some of the best time to minister to, the, to our believers, uh, like around the table here. Uh, we have people, it's not uncommon to be at the Hope Center for an hour after the church service. Sometimes we don't leave till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, um, and we don't have another service. It's just people visiting. Um, You'll see Jamie here doing what she loves to do, and that's uh, serve coffee on Friday nights. Uh, we don't just serve coffee because we like coffee. Uh, in fact, I mean, Gwendy drinks coffee, some now. Uh, I don't drink coffee, but I probably serve more cups of coffee in a, a year than uh, some people drink in a lifetime uh, through our different ministries at the Hope Center. But on Friday night, we invite the community in for a family game night coffee time, and all for the purpose of not just sharing coffee and warming up when it's 40 below, but as a means of getting the people into the Hope Center where we can talk to them uh, around the puzzle table, around the game table, uh, around the chess table or the checkers table, all with the hope of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And we've had many opportunities around the checker table, around the puzzle table. Uh, Jamie, uh, uh, actually I'll, I'll talk about Jenna. You don't mind, do you? Um, Back probably the beginning of summer, it was toward the end of the school year, one of the teachers came in, and uh, Jenna was there sitting on the couch visiting with, uh, as I said in the beginning, it is a family ministry. It's not just me getting up and preaching. Uh, Gwendy shares with different ones the kids share. And here Jenna is, I mean, she's soft-spoken, and she's talking with this, this uh, blatant agnostic, I would say. And he's just grilling her on these questions and and I walk over because I want to support my daughter and and she's doing all right I mean she's challenging like but the Bible says this and and uh he never came back and like all summer he was gone and she said to me about the end of the summer she goes dad do you think he's not coming back to the Hope Center because of what I said and I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's just been gone. And, and I mean, maybe, maybe he's thinking about what you said. Well, the week before we left to come here for our home service, he came back in. And uh, that was a relief to her. But uh, even in, in every ministry that we do there, whether it's through our coffee time in the morning where the men come in, uh, whether it's our after school program where we invite the kids over from the school uh, just for a safe place to go uh, after school, uh, whether it's, of course, through the Bible study, uh, everything that we do to bring the, the people in is to, with the hopes that in some way we can share the light of Jesus Christ. Uh, some of the people we minister to are uh, like this this uh, fellow right here moved in actually he came to us from Teslin he knows Derek Baker uh, he's been now living uh, in our community so we're carrying on that relationship there uh, here's some pictures of the after school uh, we have some of the most wonderful and yet some of the most terrible kids uh, in the world um, you can see from some of the pictures here uh, each one needs to see the love of Jesus Christ this verse here in the scripture says but do not just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, and you know what? My eyes are getting bad enough. I'm having trouble reading that. Otherwise, you will only be fooling yourselves. We want to raise up people who not only 
hear the word, but do what it says. This young girl, I have a picture of her up here, because last year her grandmother came to pick her up after school program. Uh, we have her in our Monday afternoon Bible club, which we do at the school, and her grandma came and picked her up, and I don't remember what Haley said to her grandma, but her grandma said to me, you know, she comes home and tells me what she's learning at the kids' Bible club. And so not only are we training the young kids, but they are going home and telling their parents what they learn. And to us, that is exciting. Um, we actually try to minister to uh, the whole community. Um, we're not just centered in on the kids or centered in on the adults. We uh, we reach out to the kids through uh, someone earlier today, uh, Bible camp. The, uh, the one camp has kids from five years old up. Uh, we do Bible camp from seven years old, and I thought we were young. Um, but um, we have minister the kids from school age all the way up through to the, the senior citizens uh, of the community, uh, all with the purpose of sharing Christ with them. Uh, I want to tell you a story about this family. Uh, this is our chief of our community, uh, Jack, in the center there. His wife, Jenny's in the red top, and their granddaughter, Brittany, is between them. Brittany was a foster kid of ours way back in 2006. And during that time, she was an early teenager. She uh, made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She was with us for six months. Those six months were very vital in her life. She still calls Gwendy and me mom and dad. Um, she does not have a good dad. Uh, her mom has struggled with different issues. Uh, Brittany has finished uh, school, graduated from Ross River, uh, went on to Whitehorse to graduate from grade 11 and 12, went on. Went on to uh, University of British Columbia and graduated with her bachelor's degree. She invited us. She, she got, I think, two tickets for graduation. And she says, I got more than two people that have been instrumental in my life. I got my grandparents. I got my parents. And I got my, my adopted parents, uh, Tim and Gwendy, that I want to be there. She invited us to go down to the graduation. It was really neat to see her graduate. But there's more to the story. Uh, her grandmother... Um, had taken in um, her cousin's son, Sterling. Uh, I was at a missions conf or a conference for uh, some of our people from our church in Edmonton back uh, a few years ago. And I called Wendy on Friday night to see how things were going. She goes, how would you like to take in another son? And I'm like, well, you know, I've been done with diapers. I have done that stage of life. I was, I rejoiced when Joe got through diapers, uh, never to see them again, uh, except on the grandkids and let the, uh, my kids take care of them. And she goes, well, we'd only have him for a few months. Uh, this was January. And supposedly by mid-March, he's to go with an auntie. And I reluctantly said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll take him in. And uh, that was uh, back two and a half years ago. He has been a consistent part of our life since then. Um, his name is Sterling. Uh, he's, for the first year and a half or two years, he was with us uh, every day, seven days a week, uh, day and night. Uh, now things are better at home, and he actually goes with Grandma and Grandpa. But... Through that situation, his grandmother, which let me go back, his grandmother, Jenny, years ago, made a decision to follow the Lord at the church that we minister in. She had walked away from the Lord. In fact, we had found her Bible at the church one day when we were cleaning the church out. And I'm looking at Jenny. Whoa, it has a, a day of salvation in it. Uh, what's going on with her? Through our having Sterling, Jenny has come back to church. 
She is there faithfully, whether we're there or not. And I'm going to get a little emotional here. This is the first year that we have come home on home service, that every Sunday that we are out, there's church service in our church. Yes, amen. About a month ago, we did not know what was going to go on in Ross River. We met with our people of our church. We had our annual meeting. We said, what is your goal for when we're gone? Well, they said, well, we want to keep the doors open. I said, well, we'd like to too, but what's going to happen? We had one couple that was there. Today's their last Sunday. They preach, and then they were going to go back to, to Washington State. And it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we have October, November, December, January, where we need somebody. And uh, our daughter, Jessie, had said, well, I'll go to Ross River, but I don't want to be there alone. And we didn't want her there alone. And uh, so another couple from our mission said, we'll be there uh, October, November, December. Well, that left January. And then another couple that we knew said, we'll fill in for February. So every Sunday, in fact, right now it's 2.30. Right now, uh, Gary is getting up to preach. And, we're ha- and Jenny is there uh, because she knows that it's a need to be there faithfully. And uh, she comes out to Bible study on Wednesday night. She's studying the word faithfully and she's growing. But her husband, Jack, who is our chief, does not know the Lord. But because of the relationship that we have with Sterling and with Jenny, he is now opening up. Uh, we pray, pray for Jack. Uh, he has been the chief longer than any other chief in our community uh, since we've been there. Uh, there's been only a couple terms that he's not been chief when we've, uh, since we've been in the community. But pray for him. He does not know the Lord. Uh, he hears it from his wife. He hears it from us. He wrote us a very nice letter before we uh, left uh, expressing his appreciation. But he does not know the Lord. It says in the word, a city on a hill cannot be hid, Matthew 5, 14. There are believers in our community that, uh, praise the Lord, are sharing the word uh, with the people, their neighbors, their friends, uh, people like Robert, uh, Dylan, May, the one sitting down, and her daughter, Marilyn, uh, there. Uh, Grady, uh, Grady is one of our elders in the community, has heart trouble, doesn't know if she's going to be alive tomorrow, but she has a hope in the Lord, and she's not afraid to tell the doctors. She's not afraid to tell her family members that if she dies, she knows where she's going, and we praise the Lord for that. Uh, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness is not uh, well has not overcome it. John one five. Uh, this is Gary. Uh, I mentioned him already. Uh, continue to pray for Gary's salvation. Um, like I said, I don't know if he will be there. I mean, I know he's made his promise, but uh, a man plans his ways, but his steps are ordered by the Lord. Um, another fellow there in the hat, gray beard, looks like Santa Claus. Uh, Paul. Uh, is one that Jamie has had a lot of talks with. Uh, Paul grew up in a Christian home, but wants nothing to do with Christianity right now uh, because of things that have happened in the past. Uh, him and I have talked much, uh, but pray for Paul that Paul would come to know the Lord. Uh, a lot of our youth uh, do not know the Lord. They, uh, I think at one point, just about every one of the youth in our community have been to Bible camp. They've all heard the gospel. Many of them have been through our kids' Bible club, uh, but yet they're not following the Lord. Pray for, for changed lives there. In uh, 1 Peter 2.9, we, we read, But you are a chosen generation that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God gave us the light for a reason. He didn't give us the light to hide it under a bushel. He didn't give us the light to keep to ourselves and say, I am so glad I'm going to heaven. He gave us that light to show forth to others. So as we 
get to the end of this missions conference, I give you as First Baptist Church of Port Perry, which has stood with us for, I think, almost 25